Today, as we begin Second Peter, uh, I wanna forewarn you that we're gonna focus on two verses today, that's it. Uh, we got a lot of verses that we're gonna cover today, but two verses that we've gotta focus in on today. And I wanna just give you an advanced warning that over the next few months, the subject matter in 2 Peter is gonna get really strong. <laughs> if 1 Peter wasn't strong for you, Peter's gonna get even stronger. Uh, it's thick, it's rich. Uh, he does not hold punches back. Uh, he goes for the jugular. I'm gonna use all the analogies that I possibly can. Uh, so I just wanna encourage you, uh, if you have not read 2 Peter yet, uh, go back. Read it, uh, get, just get ready. Uh, over the next few months, we're gonna dig into some really, really cool things uh, in this beautiful, beautiful letter uh, that Peter has written to us. Second Peter chapter one, verses one to two. You have your Bibles this morning. You ready for God's word this morning? And it says this, Second Peter chapter one, verses one to two. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith equal to ours, through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you through the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. Today, as we continue on in our series, You Are Here, I wanna to speak to you from the subject, more than a greeting. More than a greeting. As we set the framework for 2 Peter and look at the importance of having and increasing in the knowledge of God and our Lord, Jesus Christ. We pray with me just one more time this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you it's alive, it's active, it's powerful. Speak to us now, we are listening. Move me out of the way, no one needs Jason, they need your voice. And so God, we submit ourselves to your word this morning. It's authority and it's power. And we know that where truth is declared, it sets us free. And so I pray freedom over this house this morning. In Jesus' mighty name, come on and everybody shouted. Amen. Everybody shouted. I almost felt like singing this, it's more than a greeting, but I didn't, um, I did, I did. You got how I played that one out, that was cool. Um, so how many of you agree with me, show of hands, uh, how you are greeted somewhere is of the utmost importance. Show of hands, like how many of you have walked into a restaurant before and your entire experience went sideways, regardless of how, how good the food was, Regardless of how the atmosphere was, how many of you would agree with me that because of how the greeting went, it went sideways on you? Maybe you didn't receive a good greeting. You got to the, you got to the, 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 uh, the waitress who's getting ready to seat you and she's, she's kind of got an attitude or he's got an attitude that day or the reservation didn't go the way that you want it to and there's, there's some confusion up front. How many of you know the greeting sets the course for the rest of it? Like we'd like to think it's just the food We'd like to think it's the atmosphere makes the restaurant what it is, but like for me, when I walk into some place, when I walk into a restaurant, or when I walk into a coffee shop, or I walk into really anywhere that has a place that somebody's gonna be greeting you, that greeting determines the way that I'm gonna see the rest of my experience, y'all with me? How many of you agree with me? The way that you were greeted at church this morning created your expectation for the rest of the day. No one got attitude from any of our greeters today. Everybody was smiling, right? How many of you, your faith rises? We've heard this from like, like in praise reports. People walk up and they see the person that, you know, with the sign and they realize that they're not selling cars. It just says, nice to meet you, right? <laughs> and, and we've heard from so many people, praise reports. They're like, man, like my, my spirit was lifted. I was encouraged the minute I saw the sign person or the person who greeted me at coffee, the person who greeted me at the door or the person that greeted me before I got to the door, the person that greeted me three times after the door. <laughs> you were assaulted with greeting this morning. Greetings are 
are important. I mean, if you know when you get on the phone with somebody, a greeting's important. Have you ever noticed that dentist offices have great greeters? Right, the lady, I've always noticed this. Maybe you've gone to a bad one, but I've always gone to places where when I walk into the dentist's office, she is the happiest person I've ever met on the planet. Why? Because she knows what's about to be done to your face. Come on, can I get an amen in church today? They know, the dentist is like, if there's nothing else that you do, you better greet your face off because I'm gonna hurt their face off. <laughs> Greetings are important. Restaurants, people's homes, no matter where you go, Greetings are of the utmost importance. Peter's greeting is a very important part of this second letter because the preceding content is going to be very strong and very pointed. So Peter takes the opportunity in his introduction to set up some very important truths for us concerning Jesus and the salvation that is offered in and through him. Do you mind if I teach a little bit this morning? I'm gonna help us get some context to this whole letter. The first thing in order to do this, Peter is going to first establish his position of submission as an apostle to Jesus. And this is where his authority comes from. He's not lording authority over people. He's saying the authority that I'm speaking to you with is because I am submitted to Jesus as a servant or as a slave. That's what he's saying. My life has been offered to Jesus and so I submit it to him. And so the authority of this letter, the authority to which I'm writing to, and all the words that are gonna proceed after this, everything that I say is because I am submitted to Jesus. Is anybody thankful that Peter was submitted to Jesus, not just spouting off his own opinion? Second, Peter's going to affirm the faith of the recipients of the letter and deal with a misconception concerning the faith of the apostles and their faith. See, the misconception or understanding was somehow that the apostles had a greater or superior faith than everybody else's. In other words, they thought there were levels, if you will, to the gospel. So Peter corrects this as he issues his official statement on the matter by telling them that there is no difference in their faith. Many scholars and theologians also believe that the other reason for the issuance of the statement is because that generation of apostolic leaders was dying out. Peter was facing the end of his life. And so Peter needed the post-apostolic generation to be secure in their faith in the gospel. Now this is important because if their faith rested in the greater faith of the apostles, they wouldn't have faith for the time to come. So Peter needed to make sure that they knew that their faith was of equal standing, that it didn't need to reside in a man, but it resided in God so they could keep on with expectation of faith knowing that it didn't no matter who was in front of them, they could have faith. Come on, somebody, you don't need my faith, you need to build your faith. And that's what Peter was saying. He's, that's why he uses that term. It's of equal strength. Third, Peter's gonna establish that the faith that they have is brought to them in and through the righteousness of Jesus. Come on, somebody. And this is such an important statement because the subsequent content of Peter's letter is gonna be so strong that he needed his readers and us to remember that our salvation through faith is only a product of Jesus's finished work on the cross. It's important. Why? Well, the strength that Peter is gonna bring concerning subjects such as morality, ethics, false teachers, the end of days, and the subject matter that we'll get into next week can cause one, if not careful, to drift into a works-based acquisition of salvation. This is not Peter's doctrinal and theological position, but when we read of, uh, uh, some of what Peter is gonna say in his letter, 
Well, it wouldn't be hard to start to drift that way. Now, there's two people that have written letters in our New Testament that if you read those letters, uh, they've, they've taken a lot of heat. They've had a, had a lot of shade thrown on them because of the content of the letter, the strength of the letter, because it, it has a lot more to do with our actions than it has to do with anything else. That would be Peter and James. If you've ever read James, once again, it's a fire hose of stuff. He's going at the way that you behave, the way that you think, the way that you perceive, the way that you do things. And so it'd be really easy. A lot of commentators and theologians struggle with these two letters because they seem to, by way of their content, rage against the very thing that we know by way of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, is that our salvation is through faith alone, not by our works, lest any man should boast. But Peter and James are very concerned with this truth right here, is that when you are impacted by the grace of God, your life should change. So Peter and James have a tendency to get hyper-focused on the change that takes place in the life rather than the, than the substance of that change. Although the entire time they are thanking God and praising God why Peter lines out the beginning of this letter with the truth that nothing happens outside of Jesus. Anecdotally, both Peter and James, if, they're, if we're not careful, we would read into their letters thinking that they're just trying to make us do a bunch of things to earn something. They're not. And this is important because, and I want you to see this today, we have to be careful that we do not allow our culture's low tolerance of corrective pain to inform our ability to receive the strength of God's word. Y'all with me this morning? So we've gotta to come to the table of God's truth with a greater strength and a greater ability to say that God is like the issuance of these truths, not that it hurt me, they're there to make me better. Peter's letter is written with great love, but also with a great intolerance for much of the drift that was taking place in the people that had been called, that he had been called to shepherd and care for. As well in this letter, Peter is going to go head to head with false teachers of the day, both outside and inside the church. He's having to be very direct for the sake of clarity. There was a strong passion in Peter to make sure that the people who God had entrusted to him to lead were being resourced with clarity on matters of the gospel. He would do this right out the gate in his greeting as we begin to see his doctrine and theology on full display as he would highlight the Trinity, the work of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is in the first two letters of his, or the first two sentences of his letter. Y'all with me still this morning? We gotta study our Bible a little bit today. Is it all right if we do that? Don't worry, we'll get to the really practical parts and I'll preach at you and we'll get hyped. But first we need to understand some things. We need to have a baseline in, in all of this. So, uh, show of hands, how many of you will just allow me the freedom to take us on a little bit of a scenic route today? Okay? Everybody should raise their hand, okay? <laughs> We've locked the doors. Um, So if you allow me to take a, a scenic route for a few minutes, this will help us understand the fullness of these two verses together. I wanna drill down as to, as to why it's so vital that we have what I'm calling doctrinal and theological congruence happening with our faith community. Why it's vital at a pastoral level, a staff level, a team level, a table group level, and at a personal level, okay? So to do this, I wanna, I wanna go over to the writings of Paul, the apostle, which is really appropriate considering Peter's final words in this letter. Now this is just as a, a person who studies the Bible, I get so jacked up excited about this because of what you read in the final moments of, of Peter's letter. This is in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 14 to 18. Watch this. Therefore, dear friends, why you wait for these things, everything that preceded this last, this last chapter, make every effort to be found without spot or blemish in his sight at peace. 
Also, regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our dear brother Paul, here it is right here, just as our dear brother Paul has written to you according to the wisdom given to him. He speaks about these things in all of his letters. So we know that Peter has been privy to Paul's letters as well. So a lot of what Peter is writing has also been informed by the teachings of Paul. And they're working together, why? Because it's based upon the truth of Jesus. And then he says this, there are some hard things to understand in them. Yes, there is. The untaught and the unstable will twist them to their own destruction as they also do with the rest of the scriptures. Therefore, dear friends, since you know this in advance, be on your guard so that you are not led away by error of lawless people and fall from your own stable position. But grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Come on, can I get an amen in church today? So, now we go to Paul, scenic route. 1 Corinthians 15, verses one to two, and then 51 to 58. This is really important for us. So, I'm not gonna read it for the sake of time because I gotta cruise through a lot of stuff today, but in 1 Corinthians 15, one through, uh, chapter, or chapter 15, one all the way through to 58, Paul's gonna launch into a discourse on the resurrection of Jesus. The reason he's gonna do this is because there was debate about the resurrection, but here's where the debate was coming from. The debate wasn't about whether Jesus actually raised from the dead. The debate was whether resurrection was possible as a whole. So what was really tricky about this type of thought process and ideology is instead of attacking Jesus head on, they just decided to discount the resurrection of Jesus by saying resurrection wasn't possible. Isn't it interesting that it's, 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 it's sideways arguments to discount Jesus instead of full frontal assault? So they were trying to remove the power of the resurrection. And if you take away the power of resurrection, friends, we lose the, the, the total countenance of the truth that we rest on. It all goes together. Death, burial, resurrection. Come on, somebody. That's where he defeated death, hell, and the grave. And so Paul launches into this discourse to, to make sure that they weren't getting unstable in this. In verse 58, he's gonna say this. Therefore, Paul speaking, in 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So right here, Paul is dealing with a drift in orthodoxy as much as Peter was dealing with people who were drifting in their orthodoxy as well. You see, a drift in orthodoxy is not a new phenomenon, but rather one that has been happening for generations. However, the press that we are experiencing is even greater due to the technological advancement and social media, what I call digital Babylon. It's making it exponentially greater and far reaching. Here's the problem, can I just be truthful with you this morning? We struggle to listen to a 40 to 45 minute message on theological discourse in the Bible, but we will lovingly get all of our information on the Bible from somebody on TikTok who dances during it. Listen, I struggle with that. Y'all with me this morning? <laughs> He's feisty. Um, I struggle with that. What we, many of us fail to realize is that we are being more discipled by what author Jonathan Grant calls secular liturgies than we are God's word. This is at least the, the finding from a recent study from Barna indicating people's engagement with their Bible. I want you to check out this um, 
what they're calling Bible engagement profiles. I'm gonna, I'm gonna step over here. So this is a percentage of the population. So this was a populist study. And it says that those who are Bible-centered interact with the Bible frequently. It is transforming their relationships and shaping their choices, 5%. Wow. Bible engaged. Interact with the Bible frequently. It's transforming their relationship with God and others, 19%. Bible friendly, interact with the Bible consistently. It may be a source of spiritual insight and wisdom. So Bible, chicken noodle for, soup for the soul, whatever it's called. <laughs> the noodle's not in there, it's just chicken soup, isn't it, right? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know, I saw it on the toilet once, it was weird. Um, Bible friendly, um, Bible neutral, interact with the Bible sporadically, has little spiritual influence, but that influence may be growing, nine, 9%. Bible disengaged, look at this. Interact with the Bible infrequently, if at all. It has minimal impact on their lives, 48% of people. Another recent study that was done, Pastor Erica talked about this in one of her messages, came to find out that amongst those who profess to be Christians, only 8% read their Bible, 18% read their Bible consistently at all. See, we're not living in a moment that affords us the ability to be passive where it comes to the prevalent issues of the day and how scripture informs our thinking concerning these issues. Listen, parents, come on, somebody. We can no longer afford to be passive in our personal assimilation and familial declaration of God's word. Yeah. Teens, life is not found on the latest social media fad. It's only found in the only word that has never changed, God's word. Now listen to what the great writer C.S. Lewis said concerning this issue. He said, if you don't listen to theology, that won't mean that you have no ideas about God. It will mean you have a lot of wrong ones. So we will have a view of God. The question that we face is this, is, is it the right one? Come on, I said, is it, is it the right one today? So just so you know, just for a point of clarity, you stepped into a place called the well, and here at the well, we are very passionate about making sure that we are preaching and teaching God's word at the end of the day. We stand on a historically orthodox understanding of God's word, and this is important for us because right now in our generation, there's a drift happening. So Peter in his first two sentences of his letter, his first two verses, he's gonna encourage them to make sure that the stability of their doctrine and theology is based upon who God is. So he inserts Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He's gonna encourage them in a second, and we'll get to that in a moment, but I wanna walk through, remember this is the scenic route, helping us understand why it's so important that we stand on God's word, that it is the basis of everything that we believe, it is the truth to which which we adhere to. Why? Because we're drifting. We're drifting. There's a couple truths that I want us to hear today. Here's the first one. Doctrinal and theological congruence produces steadfastness. It produces steadfastness. The Greek word that's used for steadfastness means to be seated in a chair, base, settled, steady, Used metaphorically, it's referring to one's mind. In other words, we are being encouraged that to be steadfast, have a mind that is seated and based on God's word. Y'all with me today? It's my intellect, it's the way that I think about things. Some of you may not agree with this statement that I'm about to make this morning, but I'm gonna go for it anyways. Everything that we need to know about everything that we are facing is right here. 
Now, you may have to dig for it. We may have to work for it. We, have, we may have to mine it out. Yesterday I was reading my Bible, it was our Sabbath. It was quiet time, Erica was reading, and I was reading, and I had this moment yesterday. I actually haven't had it in a while, but I read something, and when I read it, all of a sudden I started going down like a, like a, just a little trail, and it, like I was getting more and more excited, and so then I pulled out my computer, and I was studying, I was looking at all these things, and I was like, ah, 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 and I was losing my mind over it, and I was Erica, stop reading, and so then I'm like preaching, hear this, and she's looking at me, she's like, yeah, yeah, and I got it so excited because of some of the things I was focusing on, I was like, it's all right here. <laughs> Yesterday I reminded myself, I just, like I felt like I was new in my faith again. I reminded myself, oh God, your word has everything I need for this moment. You remember when you first said yes to Jesus and you just like tear through this, and you didn't even understand it. You're like, I don't know what that means, but it's awesome. Like that's where I was at yesterday. I was like, oh, it's so good, it's so good. And then somehow we matured our way past understanding this. We become more intellectual. Now Romans, Paul would say that's actually debased thinking, debased. But right here to be steadfast means based thinking that is seated in God's word. How I think about things. Second, second thing I want you to hear about this, remember, scenic route, look at the trees. <laughs> Doctrinal and theological congruence enables immovability. Now, this Greek word helps us understand what it means to have conviction. This is important. It's one thing to think biblically about something. It's another thing to have conviction about the thing that you are intellectually thinking about. Y'all with me? So we can think about all kinds of things about God, but then it's another thing to develop conviction for it. You can, th like you can think about God, oh, I love God, and, and, and I think his word is cool, and I, I think church is, it's one thing to think about it, it's another thing to go, now I'm immovable. You can't move me. We get DMs and text messages about things, people wanna argue with us about things, and that's great, that's fine. But you just need to understand, I don't just think intellectually about my faith, I am in conviction about it as well. So not am I just steadfast, but now I'm immovable. Right, I am a 400 pound defensive person, I don't know all the terms, just that sounds big. And this little dude can't move that, right? You ever, you ever done this to parents? You ever done this to a kid when they're like running at you and you put your arm out? <laughs> right? That's what it should look like with a lot of the idea, ideologies that are coming. <laughs> like just. Oh. Steadfast, my mind is locked in. Immovable, I have conviction. No, I'm not, I'm not gonna live this way. No, like I know we're dating and I've, I, got, I got purity and I've got conscience. I'm not moving off of this thing. And I, and I see how I see the world and what's happening in the world and you can't convince me otherwise. Why? Because my mind is locked in. My conviction's locked in. Who I am in Christ is settled. So doctrinal theological congruence enables immovability. Here's the last one. Actually, I wanna read this really quick. Um, how many of you have heard of Eugene Peterson? A few of you. He's just a small startup. Um, <laughs> he did the Message Bible and a few other things. <laughs> In his book, I just read this. It was a book about uh, vocational holiness as, as pastors. Uh, it's called Underneath the Unpredictable Plant. 
This is what he writes concerning the shift that we are seeing in the local church, the stuff that's affecting the Western church right now. Um, Y'all ready to be challenged for just a second? Will you give me permission to offend you? Can I get, show of hands, how many of you allow me to offend you for, perfect, you guys are awesome. Okay, let's do this. This is Eugene Peterson, not me, okay? Don't shoot the messenger. True, 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 truth. Good night. Um, this is what it says. The people in our congregations are, in fact, out shopping for idols. They enter our churches with the same mindset in which they go to the mall to get something that will please them or satisfy an appetite or need. John Calvin saw the human heart as a relentlessly efficient factory for producing idols. Congregations commonly see the pastor as the quality control engineer in the factory. The moment we accept the position, speaking to pastors now though, we defect from our vocation, arbiters of truth. The people who gather in our congregations want help through a difficult time. They want meaning and significance in their ventures. They want God in a way, but, not, but certainly not a jealous God. Not the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Mostly they want to be their own God and can stay in control, but have ancillary idol assistance for the hard parts, which the pastor can now show them how to get. In other words, when we stay away from orthodox and we stay away from doctrinal and theological truth, I actually then become a part of the journey of supporting idols. Y'all see what I'm talking about? When we assimilate truths that are outside of God's word, that's what, that's what we're doing. So if you've ever wondered, like, why are we going really strong at this right now? Well, because over the past three years, I've seen a lot of people lost to the rising tide in this shift. Orthodoxy. Well, did God really say? Yeah, he kind of did. Come on, is there like four people with me this morning? <laughs> Three. Doctrinal and theological congruence encourages continued diligence. The, the Greek word that's employed here is it's used to denote not so much the actual exertion which a man makes, I'm quoting right now from the complete word study dictionary of the New Testament, but the weariness which we experience from that exertion. It designates that which we as Christians ought to render to the Lord as we labor in our Christian ministry. In other words, what this word is saying is I understand that it's, it's tiresome to keep steady and to be immovable. Come on, how many of you agree with me? It's tiring in this world right now. When you get up and every single day, it's all coming at you. It's a new thing that you have to process, a new change in the world. How do we think biblically about this? How do, God, what do you think? Of, y'all with me? Is anybody else, right? And so we do one of two things. We just shut off everything and we just kind of bury our heads in the sand or we can go to the word that gives us everything that we need for life and faith. So one author said it like this, a rich theology of the kingdom holds together evangelism and justice proclamation and demonstration, healing and hospitality. These are the things that I wanna see take place in our community. And how we achieve them is of the utmost importance. But we must, to achieve them, we must be aligned with scripture concerning all the prevalent issues of the day. Come on, four people said amen, let's try this again. <laughs> we must be aligned with scripture on all the prevalent issues of the day. We gotta do the, we gotta do the hard work 
We can no longer leave room for divergence on these issues. It's important that we're aligned. And I said this last week, I think, but I'm just gonna repeat it for those of us who aren't here. At the beginning of this year, I really felt God say to me, Jason, your job, this pastoral team's job and the church that we're trying to build here is standing at the gate with a sword. And if there's anything else, just prophetically speaking, if there's any anointing on my life right now and this church's life right now, it is this. And we are being used as blunt force objects right now. If I, like, if I feel like that sometimes, can I just be your pastor today? Like, I'm just trying to help you kind of, why? Because truth is out front. Truth is out front. Truth is out front. Truth is out front. I'm parenting my, my kids with truth. This staff is gonna lay on truth. This church is gonna be built on truth. Come on, can I get an amen in church today? All right, so the scenic route, we just went over here, all the way around, okay, we're gonna get back onto the freeway. So, let's go back to 2 Peter chapter one. So Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have attained a faith of equal state with ours by the righteousness of God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So that's where his Trinitarian theology is at. He's talking about this faith, of equal standing, you need to know what I know. And then he says this in verse two, he says, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. How many of you says, oh, that sounds like good news right now. How many of you want grace and peace multiplied in your life? Okay, so that's, the, that's that section, doctrine, that's the, the scenic route. I just wanna make sure you're all tracking with me today. And now I wanna leave you with the encouraging stuff. So it's right here in these first two, these first two verses that Peter gives us some significant truths to view the rest of this letter through as we get into the guts of it over the next few weeks. Number one, come on, every shout, number one. Here's the first thing Peter encourages us with, is that Peter's greeting establishes hope as the lens we should see through. Peter's greeting establishes hope, every shout, hope, hope. as the lens that we should see through. This is about our disposition. Hebrews chapter six, verses 17 through to 19 says this, because God wanted to show his unchangeable purpose even more clearly to the heirs of promise, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that through two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, it is impossible for God to lie, it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement in the hope that is set before us. And we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. What this means is that you and I can walk out of here today and we can look at every situation and circumstance with hope. We can look at our family through the lens of hope. We can look at our job through the lens of hope. We can look at the world around us through the lens of hope. We can look at all of our situations and circumstances with the lens of hope. Church, if I could encourage you today, we need to put on the glasses of hope. And when I have God's word in my life, that is the hope which I see everything through. It's hope, to be hopeful. Come on, show of hands. How many of you wanna be hopeful? Full of hope. If I'm honest with you, I went through a stint, especially over the past few years, where I was not hopeful. I'd say this in my mind, in my heart, and sometimes out loud to Erica. I'd say this, hey, when's the bottom gonna fall out? Come on. When's it, when's it all just gonna go sideways on me? 
And I had experiences over the past three years that made me feel like it was going sideways. Come on, has anybody ever felt hopeless before? And then one day we decided, you know what, I'm gonna put on my sunglasses at night. When it's the darkest, I'm gonna put on my sunglasses at hope. When it doesn't look the way that I want to, hope. When it's not playing out the way that I want to, hope. I'm gonna see my marriage through hope, I'm gonna see my kids through hope. I'm gonna see this church through hope. And I do, that's why we walk in. I'm hopeful. As we get into some of this content where Peter starts dealing with the end of days, it'd be really easy to become hopeless, which is weird. Because at the end of the day, we win. <laughs> it's fun. I went, man, if I'm gonna fight, I wanna go into a fight I know I'm gonna win. Yeah. Is anybody with me? Yes. Right, like, I'll never fight you if I know you can beat me up. <laughs> but if I'm looking at you and I'm sizing you up, I'm like, I could take this guy, be like, let's fight, come on, let's do it. <laughs> you wanna wrestle, right? So, <laughs> that, that's the hope that we have is because we've won. We've already won. It's, it's already been done. The minute Jesus got out of the grave, church, we, we won. We won. He was defeated. Now, the enemy's super annoying right now. Messing around with stuff all the time. But we still won. Right? Second, number two. Every shot, number two. Peter's greeting promises, I love this, multiplication of grace and peace in our lives. Every shot, Multiplication. Not just addition, but multiplication. May it be multiplied to, he says. This is about intimacy with God. Learning how to be, in, now, now intimacy is a freaky word for some of us. But here, here's one of the best definitions I've heard uh, a good friend of ours who, who passed over these past few years by the name of Cy Rogers said that intimacy was this, into me see into me see. So when, when Peter declares multiplied grace and peace, he's talking about something that only comes through being intimate with Jesus. So when, I, when I'm vulnerable with Jesus, when I'm vulnerable with my, my faith, intimacy is produced, and what do I have? Multiplied grace and peace. See, many of us are trying to go to God holding some things back. Like, I want, I want you, God, I want, to be, I want to be in relationship with you, I want you to change my life, but you can't have this, 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 and this. That's not intimacy. How many of you know that Eric and I, we do not have intimacy if we are holding things back from each other? Now, we're both very like A-type personalities and eights on the Enneagram, so it's impossible for us to hold things back, but many of us do. When we were first married, I remember I'd ask her all the time, because I was still getting to know her, even though we've known her for like a long time. How many married couples, you know what I'm talking about? You know each other when you're dating, and then it's like a different knowing once you're married. Living in the same house, you're like, oh, I've never saw that face before. <laughs> Come on, I mean, right? You're like, So I don't even know if Eric could remember this, but I, I used to ask her a lot. I'd say, what's wrong? What's wrong with you? 
is everything okay? I'd ask her this question. And, and honestly, it was like what was in me was like an insecurity that was in me because I was reading her face. And, so she, and, and she's like, listen, like I love you, so I will tell you if something's wrong. And so we had, we had to go through that. And now I, I really trust her with that space that she doesn't hide things from me. What was, I, what was I really going after? What I was going after is, hey, are we intimate? Are we, are we, gonna, are, are we doing this? It's just, like, don't let your head go. I'm not like sex and stuff like that. I'm, I'm talking about into me see. And I wonder if God's saying to some of us, like, hey, are, are we intimate? The hard part is he knows what you're holding back from him. <laughs> but like Adam in the garden, he's going, where are you? Where, are you? where are you at? He's not surprised. He just wants to see if you'll offer it. Because the beginning of intimacy is the offering of things that we are hiding. And so Peter's greeting promises multiplication. And here's how we know that God is a multiplying God. Ephesians 3, 14 through to 21. For this reason I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and earth is named. And I pray that he may grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and firmly established in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and the width and the height and the depth of God's love and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him, verse 20, this is the big gun right here. Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, him, to him be the glory glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. He is the God that does exceedingly and abundantly above what we can ever ask or imagine. Come on, somebody. He is a multiplying God. He gives and he gives more and he gives over. And so when Peter says he's going to multiply grace and peace, oh, that's good news right there. That's a gift I want. Multiplied grace and peace. And it comes through an increasing knowledge of God and Jesus. Last one, number three. Every shout, number three. Number three. Peter's greeting defines the necessary conduit for greater increase. What does he say? Let's go back. Second Peter, chapter one, verse two. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Here's, here's the conduit now. In the knowledge of God and Jesus Christ our Lord. Y'all hear me today? in the knowledge of. So grace and peace comes to us as we grow in our knowledge of who he is. As we grow in our knowledge of God. It's the necessary conduit. My kids and I are always working on our relationship. They're sitting down here in the front row taking notes. Nice notes, baby, good job. Nice drawing, dude. Good job. <laughs> I see your nose. <laughs> as, a, as a father who's growing and learning, definitely not perfect at it at all. I'm acutely aware that as my kids gain more knowledge of me, then the relationship grows. 
the peace in our relationship. Have you ever noticed that when you don't know somebody, there is lack of peace in that relationship? There's lack of grace. The more you know somebody, the more grace and peace that there is in a relationship. So Peter's not mincing words. This is not, a, this is not just an apropos greeting. This is more than a greeting. It's strong. And he says, listen, if you want multiplied grace and peace in your life, you need to get to know the one who gives it to you. It's, an incre- it's increased knowledge and understanding. So my kids, through increased knowledge and understanding, learn more about who I am, the character and nature of Jason Parrish. And it's from that place that they receive the things that they need from me. Does that make sense? And for some of us, we're wanting God to give grace and peace all at the same time we're trying to refuse getting to know him. We want grace and peace without proximity. Let me say that one more time. We want grace and peace without proximity. Grace and peace is not offered outside of proximity. That's when I cuddle up to him. It's when I read the hard parts. It's when I lift my hands during worship. It's when I lift my voice during worship. It's when I show up when I don't want to. God, I don't want to pray right now. I just want to take this in control. I want to do this myself. Am I talking to anybody in church today? So Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior in Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. How many of you would agree with me? What a cool way to open a letter. It's more than a greeting. And that sets the framework for where we go. Peter's gonna launch into some hard things, some tough things. It's gonna challenge us over the next few months. But I can tell you this, if you're here for it, I'm here for it. And as we pursue truth with each other, God will change us and transform us from the inside out in Jesus' mighty name. Come on and everybody shouted. Amen. I wanna invite you to stand to your feet right now as we get ready to close. Jesus, we worship you. Would you just bow your head and close your eyes with me this morning? God, we thank you. God, we thank you. With every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around right now, I wanna ask you a question. Where are you at with Jesus? I know that's a big, almost existential question. But the truth is, is that it's something that can be honestly understood and really just a moment's thought. Do you know this Jesus we've been talking about today? One who's the foundation of truth, the purveyor of truth, the one in which grace and peace are multiplied to us through the one in which our faith rests, Jesus. So what we're gonna do in this moment together is we process through whether we know him or not. We're gonna pray a prayer together. And for those of us today who would say, man, Jason, I I don't know Jesus. I wanna know him. And not only do I wanna know him, I wanna follow him. Because remember, it's not just about being intimately involved, but it's about having conviction that is based upon faith in him.
He stations us, he strengthens us. So with every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around, we're gonna pray a prayer together, all of us together. I don't leave anybody out, but if you'd say, man, that's me, Jason. I wanna know and I wanna pursue Jesus. Make this your prayer with us today. And I'm gonna invite everybody just to do it out loud so we don't leave. I'm gonna do this together in unity. So come on, as loud as we possibly can, would you repeat these words after me? Everybody say, Jesus. I'm giving you everything. I'm giving you my past. I'm giving you my right now. And I'm putting my future in your hands. Save me. Change me. Make me new. And I declare in this moment that I'm gonna follow you all the days of my life. I'm sorry for doing it my way. And today, I am turning to follow your way. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name.